And welcome to the October 2nd, 2018 edition of Liberation Station Radio Show. I'm your host, Chris Steiner, and tonight we have a wonderful, exciting, very erudite guest coming up in the next, next few minutes, Dr. Rashid Buttar. And we'll talk a lot about detoxification from various sources in our environment and our medicaments and our uh, air, food, and water. But first, I want to just start out with a few announcements. We have coming up on October 6th at Felipe Park in Pinellas County, Florida, the March to the Mound to help stop poisoning our parks. We mentioned it on the last show. It is an effort to get the uh, this, as an initiative to just start the ball rolling to stop glyphosate from being sprayed in Pinellas County and uh, in uh, Safety Harbor, hopefully, to start with. We'll see. What those organizing it uh, are going to um, pursue in their city councils and county commissions. But there are a few dozen, uh, let's see, three dozen so far who have RSVP'd and uh, 200 who say they're interested. The event is on Facebook and that will be posted on this show's page on theliberationstation.com. That's T H E, liberationstation.com. It's already on the show page for the last show for September 25th, 2018, when we had Zen Honeycutt from Moms Across America, momsacrossamerica.com, joining us. So uh, we'll make sure to add that on the page for this show, the October 2nd, 2018 edition. And the importance of this is improperly spraying glyphosate, aquatic glyphosate, we have Tanya Vidovic, who uh, is a local activist, who videotaped that happening on September 5th, and she was told to leave the park. Well, she was having a friendly conversation, as can be shown on the video. Although the park staff claimed at first that she was swearing at them, and and uh, so the Pinellas County Sheriff was called, and she was given a trespass warning, meaning that if she would return to the park, then uh, she would be arrested well they did finally lift that trespass warning so park as she says she does six times a day on her way to and from work and school and on her breaks so we're glad for that see on the event page on the facebook event page the fact that at least six mounds for gopher tortoises has been sprayed with this aquatic Roundup, which contains glyphosate. So that would be a felony in each case. That's at least six felonies. And uh, that's a serious offense, a serious uh, grievance against Mother Nature as well. So uh, it's a big issue. And uh, there's a show page. Uh, the WMNF has done uh, interviewing a local park official and saying that they spray Roundup at all their parks. And uh, it, it sounds like they really don't understand the guidelines or the law on how, to, how, it's, how it's supposed to be sprayed. So hopefully we can change that. And with the, some of the guidance from Moms Across America, their webpage, momsacrossamerica.com, explains how to get glyphosate based herbicides out of your community 
which has happened in 197 municipalities around the country. So there are success stories. Momentum is building as education is growing on glyphosate-based roundups. So we can look forward to following the lead of 197 other communities around America. Next, uh, we'll want to start with one of those communities in a newscast uh, that was from last the date of last week's show, so I wasn't aware of it. Otherwise, I would have played it from WPTV about Stewart, Florida, banning glyphosate. So if you have that clip ready, please play it, control room. Do we have that clip ready to go, or uh, are we still working on it? Well, let's see. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, I'm being read here. Let me switch over to the phone and see what's going on. Hi, Chris. Hi, Dr. Guitar. Do you read me? Yes, I, I am. I'm sorry about the confusion. My apologies. So I don't know what happened with the phone, but uh, at least we're here now. I didn't realize that the call-in number and, the, and the, the number for me that you wanted to call was the same number. My apologies. That's all right. Let's see if we can work things out. But um, was my introduction of uh, that newscast just, uh, were you able to hear that? I did not. No, I'm sorry. I was not able to hear anything. Oh, my. All right. Well, we seem to have a technical problem here. Well, Dr. Rashi Buttar, it sounds like as good a time as any to introduce you. Um, sorry uh, for the um, to the audience, you're not able to pick up uh, what I was just uh, announcing about. Uh, you didn't hear anything about a uh, glyphosate ban that I was uh, covering a little earlier? I, I Chris, I um, wasn't on the station, so I didn't. I missed everything. I've been trying to get on there with you, but uh, I'm sure the right. listeners probably could. So, yeah. Okay, we'll handle this by phone, and um, I'm going to ask you in a moment to take over the airways as I try to reconnect by Skype. Um, would you be able to reconnect by Skype, too? Would you like to do that? Um, that's fine with me, whatever is best for you guys, because I think when somebody tried to call, it dropped me, but I was, uh, whatever you want to do, you just tell me, and I will execute. All right, well, let's just start with uh, the introduction then, and I'll let you... Um, Take it away, and just uh, after a couple questions here, but um, just to start out here, Dr. Rashid Buttar is at drbuttar.com. That's D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R.com. And uh, he's a graduate of the University of Osteopathic Medicine and Health Sciences College of Medicine and Surgery. He trained in general surgery and uh, emergency medicine and, and served as brigade surgeon and director of emergency medicine while serving in the U.S. Army. Dr. Buttar is board certified in clinical metal toxicology, preventative medicine, and boards eligible in emergency medicine and has achieved fellowship status in three separate medical societies. And all the other websites are up on the show page at theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. If you'd like to reach us, the call-in lines are 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. And toll-free, 
866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. You can join us on the Listen Archives page of the website. That's Listen slash Archives at theliberationstation.com where the live audio stream is and the chat room where we can pick up your comments. If you don't feel like calling and just have something to chip in there, then we'll check in periodically in the chat room. So, Dr. Buttar, um, your specialty in, in uh, patient, uh, treating patients is, is what? Is that uh, detoxification and uh, what kind of uh, cases do you tend to accept? Uh, well, we, we specialize essentially. I think if you wanted to try, try to talk about what our forte is, what our area of uh, excelling in medicine is, it would have to be in essentially detoxification, systemic detoxification, and physiological optimization. So we basically want to get the stuff out of the system that shouldn't be there and help the body to upregulate and function at its optimum. The types of pathology that we have been, I guess, where if you want to talk about making a big difference where we've got a global reputation, that would be autism and cancer. So those are the two areas. And it really came down to, I, I felt about two decades ago that if my philosophy was right, if what I was experiencing uh, was actually going to hold water, and if it was just not just something um, that was, if it was something more than just an observation that I was experiencing, that it should actually work for all pathologists. So what are the two hardest things to treat? And that was what I asked myself, and it came to autism and cancer, and we wanted to see how well that, what, what I had experienced. I, you know, we were dealing with cardiac disease before and MS and all sorts of different types of things and some cancer and stroke and everything. So I kind of focused in on autism and cancer to see if this would work, and sure enough, it worked. And my, it, my goal wasn't to just do those two areas, but that's where we've ended up having patients from all over the world coming to us with cancer and, and uh, autism. But we, we can treat and we have treated pretty much everything across the gamut. So you say you treat uh, autism uh, to, to a great degree. And uh, I've seen uh, the, the story that was, well, pardon me, Dr. Bittar, um are you able to hear me okay? I'm sorry, say that again? Sorry about that. I'm just having a little technical problem. Can you... There, I had to, okay, my fault there. Um, so when, when it comes to treating autism and cancer, uh, and you, you mentioned the seven toxicities uh, in some of your interviews, what are those toxicities that are, and maybe what are some of the sources you've found over the years? That's a great question, Chris. So basically um, the seven toxicities, it is a website. Uh, you can actually go to advancedmedicine.com and, um, you will need an invitation code there. Maybe you've got your invitation code you can give out to the listeners. But on the left-hand menu, uh, Advanced Medicine, there is a uh, tab that says uh, Facts on Toxicity. And essentially, this is a, um, a tab that people can watch a number of different videos. And these videos will help them to understand what we'll discuss right now, but unfortunately, time won't allow us to go into enough details, but it'll talk about the seven toxicities. So essentially, 
when you ask me what those seven seven toxicities are, um, let me back up and kind of give you the background. Uh, I believe that all pathology starts from toxicity, uh, and there's various types of toxicities, but the common denominator of all these toxicities, the mechanism of action, how these toxic substances affect the body is through a process that's called oxidation or oxidative stress, which is also in chemistry called the reduction reaction. So essentially, it's the rusting process. So all toxicities affect the system through this oxidative process, which is the rusting process. And the seven toxicities, um, my belief is that if you can effectively detoxify the system of these seven toxicities, and the key operative word here is effectively, effect, you know, the, the word detoxification, unfortunately, a lot of people use that word, but it's, it's getting a lot of lip service. They don't really truly understand what that entails. So if you can effectively detoxify the body of these seven toxicities, my belief is that the chronic pathological conditions that affect the world's population by definition cannot exist because you're removing the source of oxidation, the source of damage that these toxicities are, are contributing to and negating them to prevent the formation of those diseases. And in many cases, by just eliminating this oxidative stress, you now negate that pathological system and it will reestablish a norm and that pathology will no longer be there. The disease process won't be there anymore. So essentially, if you can get rid of these seven toxicities, chronic disease can't exist. These seven toxicities are, the first one is heavy metals. By the way, the order in which I present them are not in the order of significance uh, by any means. It's just the order in which I discovered them. And so um, I'll explain which, I want, which one I think is the most important. But they're really the most important one is the one that's affecting the individual. So a person can, can you say, Dr. Mutar, oh, we're on Skype for now, so I think you should be able to hear me all right. Yeah, no, I can hear you fine. I can hear you fine. Excellent. All right, so, good deal. Then, um, yeah, I just uh, I just wanted to break in real fast before you get into some toxicity and ask the, the uh, you, you mentioned the rusting. Would that be the oxidative uh, free radical inducing process or the redox potential? How would you measure that? Right. So the seven toxicities are... Um, commonalities that oxidative stress as we just discussed. So the, the seven toxicities are, the first one is heavy metals. So these are like the, the lead, the mercury, you know, the tin, arsenic, antimony, all these different heavy metals that we talk about. They're found in various um, industries and they're of course also found in food substances and sometimes in things that we're introducing into our body like dental amalgams or vaccines and such. So heavy metals play a very crucial role in increasing in the oxidative stress that we're uh, experiencing. The second one is what I call POPs, the persistent organic pollutants. So these are the chemicals, the insecticides, the pesticides, the preservatives, you know, the benzene, the toluenes, the organophosphates, the uh, fluorinated hydrocarbons, all these different chemicals. This is where glyphosate would fall into. Um, all these different things that, that, that are not metals, that are chemicals, that are also uh, causing havoc in our system. Um, the third one is what I call the opportunistic. The opportunistic are the bacteria, the viruses, the spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, um, parasites, all these different things that affect us as well. And this is the third toxicity is something that modern medicine has done somewhat of a decent job with when they look at the 
antibiotics and the antivirals. But the problem is in trying to deal with these opportunistic, they've actually caused other problems. For example, the antibiotics are not selective enough. They kill everything. They kill off the good bacteria in the gut and in other parts of the, the other uh, essential flora. And then that causes an imbalance in the bowel ecology. And then that creates a secondary type super infection, whether it's yeast or other types of things that set up house parasites. So they've created a massive havoc in the bowel ecology and actually in the ecological system of the system of the body, internal ecological system of the body. And so the opportunistics are, I call them opportunistics because they have to have an opportunity to set up house and to create a problem. And so if there's a suppression of the immune system from the first toxicity, heavy metals, or the second toxicity, persistent organic pollutants, usually a combination of both, if there's a suppression of the immune system from the first and second toxicity, it will allow the third toxicity, the opportunistic, to set up house. And this is where you start getting the Lyme disease and the and the mycoplasma and some of these chronic bacterial infections and the uh, methyl-resistant staph or MRSAs and all these different types of things that you hear about. Um, and, of course, the common infections, too. So they a person that this is where you would end up having a person that has a cut, for example, and a normal healthy person, the cut would heal in a week or so, but in a person that's compromised, they're not going to heal and they're going to get a super infection and they're going to get a chronic wound and so they'll have all sorts of other issues. So the first toxicity, heavy metals, second toxicity, persistent organic pollutants, and third toxicity is the uh, opportunistic. So these first three are tangible, measurable. The fourth through the seventh, the, 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 the last four of the toxicities are somewhat more esoteric. So the fourth toxicity is energetic. When I'm talking about energetics, I'm talking about electromagnetic radiation, ambient cell phone radiation, uh, any, any type of energetic that's causing a disruption um, in, in the system. And uh, so microwaves would be an, an example of very common exposure. Almost every household has a microwave. People don't realize how detrimental the use of a microwave is in their house. Um, I have not had a microwave in my house for over 20 years. Um, don't have a microwave in my office. In fact, that we don't even have anything like that plugged in the office or in the house. And that's actually for over 20, over 20 years, or 20, almost 25 years. So right. microwaves would be an example. So these are various types of energetic um, toxicities that are causing a disruption of our energetic and and have a very negative and, and often very devastating impact. Uh, the fifth toxicity, uh, in my personal opinion, if you were going to say one toxicity is more important than any other one, obviously the first answer would be the one that's affecting the individual is the most important one. Now, you know, some people may only have one toxicity. Some people may be dealing with two toxicities. Some people may be dealing with the whole gamut, all seven toxicities. But if there was one that I felt was a little bit more significant than the rest, it would have to be the fifth one, which is emotional psychological toxicity. And this emotional psychological toxicity is, I think, the number one place about, uh, where, where cancer starts. This is actually um, contributory to all disease processes. And so the emotional psychological, it used to be emotional psychological spiritual toxicity, but I, that used to be one. So when, when I started off, the, the philosophy was four toxicities, then it went to five, six, and then eventually seven. But basically the emotional psychological toxicity is, is the type it's basically the types of things that we have had to deal with all our lives uh, from childhood, certain patterns that we fall into. This is where we deal with the subconscious, the, the conscious, and the superconscious. So basically the awareness that past traumas and past conflicts and, and holding certain emotions in like guilt and anger and resentment 
and how those things don't get processed and they end up forming an abscess and, and festering inside your body and eventually causing, um, besides deep scars, you know, pathology, um, that's where that fifth toxicity comes into play. The sixth toxicity is foods, and it's not the foods that we're eating. It's more what we do to the foods that we're eating. Um, this, this would be the process of pasteurization, homogenization, genetic modification, uh, irradiation, all the different things that we do to food to supposedly make it safe, but in actuality renders it uh, less food and more something else. So we don't even know what the implications of some of these things that we do to foods are. But the whole process of, of changing and adulterating food, that's the uh, sixth toxicity. And then the seventh toxicity is the spiritual toxicity. And the spiritual toxicity used to be part of the emotional psychological, but we split that uh, split it off because there are some people that are very uh, spiritually sound, but emotionally psychologically they're they're uh, toxic, or vice versa. So there's uh, a number of videos. I believe there are uh, eight videos or nine videos that people can watch. They're completely free, and you can go to advancedmedicine.com. Do you have an invitation code? Your invitation code. Uh, for that site, Chris? I don't yet. I uh, wish I had had the time to go and finish the, the survey there. So uh, I guess um, if you want to tell me how that works to uh, be able to uh, post it later on, would that be able to post it later on on my website? Um, and uh, well, basically, you basically, want to explain how that works? Yeah, if you actually registered, if you just created your account, um, if you went got to the survey point, your invitation code was on the upper left-hand. I'm sorry, on the upper right-hand side of your dashboard when you when you joined. So it only takes about a second to get your invitation code. Um, and I think when you and I were on the phone, you actually did get registered. And your invitation code was set up at that point. I just don't remember what it was, but uh, you don't have to have taken the whole uh, head map or anything. So I'll I'll, oh. I'll walk you through that basically. But yeah, if you. If you went in there and you signed up, which I thought you did right there in front of me, you should have an yeah. invitation code. Okay, let me try to find that as you're speaking or maybe after the next break. So uh, if folks sure. go there, then uh, you're, you're saying that uh, if they, they can, um, with the invitation code, then they're able to not have to pay the $99 a year or $1 for a lifetime membership? Yeah, well, that. Basically, with the invitation code, it's free. There's, there's nothing that they have to worry about to go to watch the videos that I'm talking about. Because on the left-hand side, um, when you get to advancedmedicine.com and you register, if you simply go um, on the uh, far left, there's a menu bar, and you can click on the uh, health education tab, and there should be a tab there that says, the, uh, the the facts on toxicity, and you can watch those you can watch those uh, videos, and there's no charge for that at all. It's just uh, something that you can oh. watch at any time. So, uh, or you can just go to factsontoxicity.com. Um, I think that website is still up, but basically, you uh -huh. can go there and watch watch those videos, and they'll help to. Ed Educate a person goes into a lot more detail. There's a slide presentation for each of the seven toxicities and explains everything. So, advancedmedicine.com, it's completely free to join, but um, you do need an invitation code to get in there. And then, what you're talking about is the IADFW 
membership of the International Association for a Disease-Free World, and that is at Advanced Medicine. If somebody wants to partake and get more information or they want to buy one of the products or they want to get involved with some of the other things that, that, that the information that's there, they can only do that if they're a paid member, and that's where it's $99 a year. But if they have an invitation code, if they join with an invitation code, it's only $1 for a lifetime membership instead of $99 for a year. It's $1 for a lifetime membership. Um, that's, that's the access to get behind the door into the private area and uh, have access to many other uh, additional pieces of information. So, All right. I'll get this sorted out here. So um, I want to back up just to the spiritual aspect that's uh, so important in uh, detoxification and yeah, I know it, it is difficult to, when you're cranky and you're, you're toxic uh, from personal experience that you don't really want to put forth an effort and and uh, you know combating thoughts that you know you you know thoughts of perhaps condemnation that you shouldn't have. And I found it becomes easier when I'm fasting that uh, I can more quickly identify those thoughts that that uh, you know maybe slight uh, condemnation of. A situation or a person and I'm also when I'm fasting able to quickly deal with them and, and uh, realize that um, they're, they're, uh, you know, they come up more easily and I can uh, replace them with positive thoughts more easily and so I, I, I'm wondering is that because not just toxins but uh, what we've digested it, it feels like it's um, it is stored in, in the fat but it, it feels like it's that uh, I'm digesting, I'm metabolizing the fats, the, the, the old thoughts that have been stored away, whether they're fat or whether other tissues I'm, I'm drawing, other uh, energy sources I'm drawing upon. Um, it seems like those old thoughts uh, come up as I'm fasting much more readily. And uh, what can you say to that? So, Chris, I'm having a hard time hearing you because it's a lot there's some kind of static or something in the background. I don't know whether uh, it's the same thing for you, but I, I'm on the on the line. But I'm, I'll just make sure that I understood the question right. So you're talking about certain thought processes that come into your mind when you're fasting. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, let me try to get a better connection here. But, uh, yeah, when, when fasting, it seems like it's easier to identify uh, toxic thoughts. Uh, so do, do you see that in your practice or? Um, well, see, that's that's more of a uh, that's a deeper question. Um, uh, you know, sometimes people, I I think that fasting is an important thing, and I do um, I do um, agree with you that sometimes when you're fasting, there there's clarity, and sometimes those thoughts, there's self-defeating thoughts, but there's also you know clearer thought process. Um, sounds like maybe that that's a contradiction in terms but in actuality uh, you have you have uh, various stages that when the person goes through that that process of uh, fasting and the detoxification process um, you know sometimes things some, sometimes things get clear at certain times and other times um, there may be more um, more emotions that come out because the person's going through a hurt stomach type of response or they're going through hunger pains or they're going through some type of uh, uh, response to their fasting so their their thought process can be uh, impeded or j 
jaded based on that. But um, overall, I think that the fasting process is very effective at helping to get clarity and helping to get uh, an awareness that seldom comes without the act of fasting. And I'm not even necessarily talking about like a long fast, but, you know, sometimes they have the modified fasting 18 hours. Um, the typical fasting that I'll do is usually it's a morning to night fast, and it's, a, it's more along the lines of like the uh, Ramadan fast that Muslims do. That's basically what I, what I do because this is during the run of Ramadan. Um, but it's essentially no eating or drinking um, or any you basically don't eat, don't drink from sunrise to sunset, but it's also an emotional type of fast where you don't partake in uh, sexual relations either. So it's an overall fast for for basically um, from sunrise to sunset. Now, that's, that's more for like a religious type fast, but, you, you know, people can use the same type of fasting technique. And some, some people just fast from food and they don't fast from water. Or sometimes people will just have a liquid fast where they'll they'll be able to consume broths and stuff but they don't have anything to eat for maybe a few days or maybe even up to a week two weeks sometimes so there's various types of fasting but across the board with most fasting there is a change of awareness and uh evolutionary process that the person goes through mentally and um you know usually there's an emotional component to it too i've seen people go through a cathartic type uh, experience um and um and then depending on what type of fast it is, if, if a person is being um, instructed with, a, like, in a group setting, like in a retreat-type setting, the type of uh, experience that they have because there's other support systems in place and people are doing it usually together as a group versus if a person is just doing it on their own. Um, so there's various types of phenomena that people will experience as they're going through that fasting process. Uh, you're probably familiar with some of the Native tribes and their um uh, recommendations of, of how to do certain things and then they'll they'll consume certain types of uh, herbal uh, combinations and to have a, a greater spiritual experience during that fasting phase uh, you probably know what I'm talking about right you've heard about some of these types of different programs that they have and retreats throughout the world um, so th- there's it's a various it's a it's a varied type of response that people have based upon their own biological individuality and genetic uniqueness, but then also what type of fast they're experiencing, um, how long the duration of the fast, what they're consuming, what they're not able to consume, whether they've got a sports structure in place, uh, doing it as a group uh, versus doing it alone, etc. I gotcha. How do you read me now, Dr. Buttar? Much better. All right. I had to switch connections, so great. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I just uh, find that when I fast that I... Even if it's just for a few hours, in order to try to get into ketosis, I find that it's just a lot easier to identify thoughts that I didn't realize I had, and then to deal with them. And uh, you know, if you're there, are people who you might say are hangry. They're angry, and they're when they're hungry, and uh, it might irritate them to fast. But if you're fasting for that explicit purpose of um, you know realizing that you you, you want to have healthier thoughts, then then uh, it's a wonderful thing. So um, I wanted to encourage that to, to somebody who needs to detox. But 
Um, you know, at the same time, um, what would you suggest in terms of uh, maybe just some basic supplements, uh, starter supplements or nutrients? Um, and what kind of therapies do you, uh, what kind of frontline therapies do you offer at your practice? Well, we we have um, we have many different types of therapies. We have we probably do more various types of IV treatments than any place in the country. Uh, I mean, we we have over sixty different types of intravenous procedures we do, but uh, we don't have people coming in and asking, you know, for well, I'd like to do this treatment, that treatment, and the other treatment. It's usually more they come in and we've got protocols established for their condition uh, or based upon the testing. And that testing will then indicate, or the, the history, the medical history will dictate what IVs are indicated for that person. Um, it is an interesting concept to a lot of people to come in and pick what they're wanting, but that's not usually the, um, the best approach. And, and that's not how we do things, because we've got set established protocols of what works and how it works and, and which order to do the IVs and the duration and the dosing, etc. So we have many, many different types of IVs, like I said. Um, but they all revolve around one of three processes. First, it's detoxification. Second, it's physiological optimization. And third, it's uh, support enhance of certain organ systems. And this would be whether it be immune modulation in cancer or HIV type conditions or patients that are diabetic and have weakened immune systems. Or it would be to rule or, or regulate the immune system down to a lower threshold, as, as you would see in autoimmune-type conditions like scleroderma or uh, lupus or some of those types of things, um, or in, in people that are suffering from chronic allergies and that type of stuff, which is a hyperimmune response. So cancer, HIV, diabetes, it's a hypoimmune response, a low immune response, uh, lupus, uh, allergy-type conditions, uh, those types of things, autoimmune-type diseases, those are usually hyperimmune responses, uh, upregulated immune response. So we basically deal with all those things and help to uh, balance things out. And so our IVs and our protocols are oriented around those, those processes. As far as um, baseline supplements, you know, that's a, a loaded question. Everybody has their own different opinions. So we have our own line of nutritional supplements. Um, they're not available to the general public. Uh, people that are members of the IADFW uh, do have access to them. And our recommendations are all based upon the AHEAD map. So the AHEAD map is Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification Medical Assessment Program. And it basically tells an individual after they take the questions, uh, do the questionnaire, which you were just referring to earlier, Chris. Uh, once they've finished that, it basically gives us a baseline and tells what that person needs and um, whatever their system needs today, 30 days from now, when they reassess using the head map again, it will change. And well, it may not change, but it may change. In most patients, it will change. And as they get better, as the numbers drop, as the scores get lower, the recommendation of what they need and how much they need changes month to month. So it's a personalized nutritional program based upon how well their organs of detoxification are working. So again, the AHEAD map, the acronym stands for AHEAD stands for Advanced Health Evaluation and Assessment for Detoxification. MAP stands for Medical Assessment Program. There are some very uh, significant 
additional components that we have tied to our protocols that people have access to. I won't go into detail because uh, only the people it's only relevant for the people that are members of the IEDFW, but suffice it to say that these are certain types of, uh, besides the quality of ingredients and the processing of how we put these things together, also the energetic exposure that these um, substances have, have been um, introduced to that help to optimize them. Um, even even uh, just a simple, you know, intention behind certain things can, can have a tremendous impact. But w- we take our processes through a through a uh, energetic enhancement, if you will. That's called uh, generally we refer to it as the mango process, and that stands for medically advanced naturally guided optimization. And um, it enhances those substances to be more assimilable in the body and to work better. Um, We'll just leave it at that. There's there's a lot more to it, but that becomes evident to those people that are that are uh, interested in partaking once they've joined the IADFW. But uh, I, there's no one particular supplement that I recommend to people. Um, actually, there are a couple of things I do recommend to people, but um, I don't make those recommendations uh, to the general public because, again, the powers that be would then construe it that I'm making a claim and we're not making any type of claim. So. I just don't make any kind of recommendations like that. I do recommend that a person take the head map, which is completely free, doesn't cost you anything. It is a process that every patient has to do in my office when they first come in and every every time when they come in for a consultation or for us to review you know, where they are. Um, I have not seen a patient in over a decade that has not done the head map, and uh, it's been used for almost 20 years now, probably we're in our 19th year now using the head map, but in its current format, it went electronic about 10 years ago, and in its current format, um, as of about last October, so it's about a year ago now, it was launched at the, uh, it was launched for the public at the Truth About Cancer event, and so one year into it, we have over 18,000 people that have used the head map, and uh it basically gives you a very accurate picture, taking subjective SF36 patient outcome-based uh, research model, taking the patient's own subjective responses, and then it objectifies it by assigning a numerical value based upon a scale, and then that objective numerical value can be tracked and used for not only assessment but also uh to assess efficacy of treatment, how well is the treatment working. So you can use it for any treatment modality, whether you're doing something conventional for a cancer patient, uh, for example, if they're doing radiation, chemo, whatever they're doing, or they're doing some type of holistic treatment, or they're doing, you know, homeopathy or acupuncture, whatever it is, no matter what the treatment is, uh, you can do the head map in the beginning and then incrementally every month or every you know, few weeks, whenever you want, and see what type of response you're having to that intervention, whatever that intervention may be, because the head map scores will track and show uh, improvement or worsening. As the number gets higher, you're getting worse. As the number gets lower, you're getting better. 100 is an ideal score. It's a perfect score. Very rarely do we see 100. Uh, 1,000 is the worst possible score. I've never seen anybody over 650, and those are very sick people. So our goal is to get people below 200, and um, generally speaking, we uh, we are able to achieve that in relatively short order within 
generally within 30 days, but uh, it can take up to 60 to 90 days. And then from there on, just refining and improving. And as long as the score is getting lower and lower, we know that we are achieving our milestones and accomplishing our goals. So you say that uh, because we're in a state of flux, that we need to keep checking or keep taking the advance or the uh, ahead map uh, at advancedmedicine.com, the uh, ahead map survey. And uh, I, unfortunately, my main computer was going down, so I didn't have the time to finish that today, but um, I'm going to have to. And uh, you mentioned the truth about the, the truth about cancer, that uh, you, you say that it's important for the immune system to be able to recognize cancer. And you've also talked about biofilms in the past. Uh, can you address how some how a patient might deal with, or what are biofilms and, and how a patient might uh, overcome that obstacle? Um, biofilms are a tough subject to talk about. Uh, the reason is because there's so many different ways that people talk about getting rid of biofilms. And honestly, I have not yet discovered the most effective way of getting rid of biofilms. I've had somewhat mixed results. Uh, I mean, we, we, we have some good results, but it's never a consistent thing. So biofilms, different biofilms affect different people in different ways. But basically, biofilm is a matrix that... Uh, develops around foreign substances in the gastrointestinal tract, such as viruses, bacteria, or it's like a matrix that's created to protect uh, the offending organism from being able to be uh, recognized by the immune system or to basically insulate it from the immune system uh, and or from, from treatments to prevent any type of treatment from working. So the biofilm is kind of like armor that these pathogens, whatever they may be, bacteria, viruses, are capable. Uh, you know, parasites, whatever they are. So biofilms are basically armor for these pathogens. Pathogens means anything that causes disease, and uh, the biofilms help to protect them. And uh, so there are things that people can try. It's uh, interesting that you asked me that question because my area of focus over the last few months has actually been to come up with a highly efficient and effective uh, treatment to eradicate biofilms. And, um, you know, there's there things that people can try, uh, and I, can, I could give you a whole bunch of different components. Like, for example, turmeric is very good. Aloe is very good. A colloidal silver combination, a gut detox that you incorporate things like apple cider vinegar and turmeric and, um, and uh, aloe vera and silver would be uh, a good way to start. But, again, you know, these are... These are readily available. Um, there's many other things that people can use. But as far as having a set protocol to efficiently, you know, drink so much of this or take so many drops of this or take so many capsules of that, I don't have a program yet that has been consistently reliable to get rid of biofilms. I've had some things that work in some people and some things that work in other people, um, but I like to have solutions that work in everybody. So what are biofilms? Uh, so the, could you describe uh, exactly what they are so folks can understand uh, how, how their immune system can, uh, we have the importance of breaking down biofilms so their immune system can recognize uh, pathogens or cancer? Um, 
So you, you made you made a comment here just now. You said so the body can recognize bio, uh, biofilms or cancer pathogens. Uh, so the so the importance of breaking down the biofilm so that uh, cancer or vira, harmful viri, harmful bacteria, fungus uh, mentioned um, you know a few different things like spirochetes and how um, how the, the importance of uh, breaking that down and and uh, what is a biofilm? Uh, from my understanding, it's a sacrificial layer of of the pathogen or the cancer creates around it as a shield from your immune system. Is that right? Well, you know, when you're talking about biofilm and then you bring in cancer, so cancers don't have biofilms. Uh, uh-huh. Biofilm is biofilms. I mean, cancers have tumors around them, and so there's a the thought process of tumor. And that's a, that's a different type of um, that's a different actually topic, but essentially a biofilm it's um, it's uh, made up of it's a combination you know it's a conglomeration of a whole bunch of different substances um, that essentially form an outer matrix an outer protection for these pathogens, these microorganisms that cause disease. So think of it as armor that protects them from the body's immune system or from something that the individual may take, like a drug or, or you know, like an antibiotic or a natural substance or something. So a biofilm prevents intervention or reduces the efficiency or efficacy of an intervention when you use it to try to get to the offending pathogen. Um, the biofilms are usually a combination of, you know, proteins and polysaccharides and fats and all sorts of different things. So think of it as a slime layer. It's like a slime, you know, essentially it's like a slime layer that protects the pathogen from being affected by the immune system attacking it or something that the individual may take trying to attack it. That's what a biofilm is. Got it. And, um, I've come across quite a few different items, and um, you know, I, of course, even, even natural stuff has its own drawbacks sometimes. So, uh, not going to mention anything in particular. But uh, there's an interesting article at uh, selfhack.com. It's entitled, if anyone wants to do a web search for it, it's 54 Natural Ways to Inhibit Biofilms. So uh, there's stuff there that, um, you know, some of the items you mentioned are on that list, and they have uh, quite a few clinical studies to back that up. And um, uh, in the waning minutes here... I actually actually have read that article, believe it or not, and it was a pretty good article, 54 uh, Ways of Dealing with Biofilms. I did read that a couple of weeks ago, actually. Oh, what a coincidence. Great. Uh, all right. Well, um, it is a good article, and uh, I think they keep expanding it, I've noticed, over the last couple of years. So uh, that number might grow if you do a web search. It might become more than 54 soon. Um, in the last few minutes here, if you'd like to join, uh, or even in the next hour, you can uh, talk to Dr. Rashid Buttar at 727-441-3000 that's 727-441-3000 or toll free 866-826-1340 that's 866-TAN-1340 and the website for the show is theliberationstation.com that's T-H-E liberationstation 
www.ghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandgh
And welcome back to the Liberation Station radio show, October 2nd, 2018, with Dr. Rashid Buttar. You can reach us here at 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. And toll free, 866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. If you have any health questions, feel free and don't hesitate to ask. Dr. Buttar's site is drb, as in boy, U-T-T-A-R.com. That's drbuttar.com. And he has several other websites. They're all linked up on the show website at theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. And I'm so impressed to have you, Dr. Buttar, that I just uh, remembered. I think I forgot to introduce myself. <laughs> so so uh, awestruck by your coming on the show and um, by your you know, helping folks over the years that um, I've been, been paying attention to you on uh, the Robert Scott Bell Show every Monday uh, that you come on for Advanced Medicine Mondays. And uh, the, the Robert Scott Bell Show is at robertscottbell.com. Wonderful show, lots of breaking, uh, very valuable information there. It is on Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. And on Sunday, that's Eastern Time, and on Sundays from 1 to 3 p.m. And you can tune in on GCNlive.com or on Robert Scott Bell's YouTube channel where you can join in the chat room and also uh, get a lot of valuable information in between the breaks. Uh, they speak over the commercials. You don't hear the commercials, but you hear a lot of conversation between Robert, the guest, uh, Super Don, the the uh, producer, one of the producers, the other producer who's uh, very sometimes uh, they have one producer from GCN and Super Don to make it a uh, more highly polished show. So um, check that out at robertscottbell.com. Every Monday, Dr. Buttar is uh, there to make an appearance. So, um, Dr. Buttar, uh, now that we're back, can you read me all right? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. Good, good. I can hear you too. Great. I think we've worked out all the kinks. So I was getting into a hyperbaric oxygen therapy before the break and the um, amazing things that it's done, like helping a desert, according to the news reports, now correct me if I'm wrong, the uh, Washington Redskins uh, cheerleader, Desiree Jennings, I'm not sure if she still is a cheerleader, cheerleader ambassador as they announced her, but um, what was um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy um how did did it help her, and, and how has it helped others? Well, um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So it's it's a double-edged sword because again, remember we talked about the mechanism of toxic substances. It's oxidation. It's oxidative injury, and so the oxidative injury. The one thing that you need is oxygen. So if you actually put something into an oxygen-free environment, you can't have oxidation injury. So. That's where the problem is. So if a person has heavy metals or they have some other source of oxidation and you put them into hyperbaric oxygen, you go from 21% ambient air that a person normally breathes to 100% oxygen. So you have five times the potential of oxidation. So if you have heavy metals on board, for example, and you do hyperbaric, you're going to cause a lot worse injury. So you have to be careful with the hyperbarics. It's not as benign as people make it out to be. Yes, hyperbarics can give you a short-term 
a benefit, but if that oxida oxidative injury is there, uh, like when people treat for autism, for example, you know, they'll do a dive every day for 40 days, and that can be very potentially harmful. Even though there may be some improvement in cognitive function initially, for a week or two, it will then continue to decline. And we have seen this with patients that have come to us after having hyperbaric oxygen therapy done uh, at different places, and then they'll come to us. And it was just the wrong time. You, you first have to get rid of the low-lying fruit, low-hanging fruit, which is get rid of the heavy metals. And then after a certain point, then you can start using oxygen um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Uh, we use that as part of our brain recovery protocol, but in children with autism, we don't do anything with hyperbarics until at least a year and a half of after uh, after a year and a half of chelation therapy to remove the heavy metals. So that's a, it's a very big, uh, very big and crucial difference that we have to we have to take into consideration. Oh, so that's, all right. That's I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's uh, that's valuable information. I was. Uh, I came across this news from last year, uh, O2 and hyperbaric oxygen therapy reverses brain damage in drowned toddler. Louisiana State University, uh, Dr. Paul Harsh, clinical professor and director of hyperbaric medicine at LSU Health New Orleans School of Medicine, and Dr. Edward Fogarty at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine report the case of the reversal of brain volume loss in a two-year-old drowning victim unresponsive to all stimuli treated with non, treated with a normal baric oxygen which is, in parentheses, oxygen at sea level, and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Uh, the report is published in Medical Gas Research. And I'll just uh, stop right there. That's just the article I'm, I'm looking at from uh, LSU Health New Orleans. So uh, folks can look that up. Um, so um, I, I was so astounded by that, having heard of hyperbaric oxygen therapy and other oxygen therapies over the years that um, uh, I, I've want folks to know it's available, but I'm um, glad that folks can get in touch with you to understand its proper use. And and uh, also just want to mention briefly that my father, uh, speaking of ozone or oxygen or O3, that uh, he, he cured himself of two melanomas just by flowing ozone over them. And one was on his head, one was on his shoulder. And that's all he did. He didn't get any chemotherapy or radiation or surgery or drugs and goes to the doctor to let them know that uh, he fixed himself. A doctor was surprised at first, according to my dad, but uh, then caught himself and said, oh, well, we'll just have to continue to keep an eye on it and do some more studies so, or keep a, keep a close eye on it. And he um, wasn't really receptive to my dad's letting him know how he helped himself out. Um, there's an interesting website called oxygenhealingtherapies.com. I just want to mention, but um, you know, yeah, I, underst I understand that things like ozone can be um, free radical inducing. Or is that something that uh, you have experience with? Is is ozone something that you've used, or or can uh, give us uh, the benefits or warnings about? Um, ozone therapy. We use um, we use a lot of ozone in our clinic. We basically uh, do things where ozone, ultraviolet blood radiation and ozone autohemotherapy where we ozonate the blood and um, we don't use it the way that you had just mentioned, but we, we do use it clinically. Um, and I know Dr. Harsh as well. He actually was, uh, he, he was the other person that, the other doctor that testified before Congress when I was invited to testify 
for the U.S. Congressional Subcommittee on Human Rights and Wellness, which was um, May 4, 2000, May, I'm sorry, May 6, 2004. Um, the other doctor that uh, also um, was there uh, was Dr. Harsh, so he was sitting right to my left. But uh, so I'm well aware of their research, and uh, right. and they don't they don't really use um, hyperbarics for from a you know, they're using it basically for uh, post trauma and that type of stuff, radiation necrosis and stuff. But they do they have used it for other types of cognitive improvement um, aspects too. And Dr. Harsh has done a lot of studies on that. And I I basically told him that. He, he, he talked to me about one patient that he had that was a patient that had responded initially really well, well-to-do family, uh, well-to-do individual, and the problem was he would get better, but then he would start getting worse again, and his ba- he would go below his baseline, and this happened a number of times, and each time, like the first time, I think it was a year and a half between treatments. The second time, it only lasted about um, it, it only lasted about a year, and the third time, it was like eight months, and the fourth time, it was four months. So each time that they would do the treatments, his cognitive improvement would last lesser and lesser and lesser time. And I told him it was because they weren't addressing the underlying heavy metal load, and that's why each time they did the treatments, yes, they would get a benefit, but they would get then further damage because of the oxidation aspect, because the oxygen was you know, creating a hyperoxidative state from going from 21% what they're normally breathing to 100% oxygen. And we did talk about doing some kind of a study, and he actually did send me that patient, but there was a there was a, a family member that didn't want to proceed with the treatment, so we never did anything. But, um, you know, we've got lots of patients with stroke and Alzheimer's that we've treated over the years, and um, we always treat the heavy metal issue first before we start dealing with the hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, I use hyperbaric oxygen primarily with cancer patients um, because when, when you have a compromise in the immune system, um, that's one thing, but cancer is an obligate anaerobic metabolizer, which means that it does not like oxygen. So we uh, have them take in 100% oxygen because that acts detrimentally towards the cancer. And, uh, of course, we're, you know, removing their heavy metals uh, at the same time and and such. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, talking about specific treatments, I usually don't talk about specific treatments. I, I usually talk about um, general concepts. And the reason is, is because, you know, a person hears, uh, treatment X, Y, and Z is good for one, two, and three. Well, they may not hear the one, two, three part. They just hear the X, Y, Z is a good treatment. And so they go, and even though they're not indicated, they're going to want to do it. And then doctors blindly will follow and say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it because, you know, it's going to generate revenue for them. That's a, that's a bad right. place to be. You, you don't want to go in there and say, I want this treatment, that treatment, the other treatment. The doctors just throw it together. And a lot of times, you know, the doctors don't know any better and the patient doesn't know any better and they're putting things together that shouldn't be put together and they'll cause more of a damage. So um, I usually don't talk about treatments. Uh, and you've probably noticed that on the radio show, we don't, you know, we don't mention treatments. We, we'll talk in generalities and in concepts, but we don't talk about treatments. And the reason is, is because um, the powers that be, they, they don't want any kind of claims being made. And I understand that. But more importantly for me, I don't want people to go out and do something thinking they're going to get a benefit and they can potentially harm themselves. Good point. 
Well, if you'd like to reach Dr. Buttar here on the phone lines, the number is 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, and toll-free 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. And the show website is theliberationstation.com, where the archive will be posted immediately after the show. And, um, yeah, I do notice that, Dr. Buttar, that you don't get uh, into a lot of specifics. I'd just like to let folks know that there are things that they can do, but uh, more importantly, things that they should not do, like don't eat sugar when you're a cancer patient. I've noticed that uh, often doctors leave that part out, and it's unfortunate. I've seen, um, say, with a friend of mine who died recently, um, you know, she just had to have uh, her Wendy's Frosty, and I asked her, well, weren't you warned about that? And as you say, well, cancer is a obligate anaerobic metabolizer, obligate glucose metabolizer that it, uh, uh, instead of metabolizing, and stop me if I'm wrong, if it, instead of metabolizing um, nutrients using oxygen, it, it uh, ferments sugar to, to live. And, and that's why cancer is anaerobic meaning it cannot survive in the presence of oxygen so um is all that correct what i just mentioned uh yes so cancer is an cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer cancer is an obligate anaerobic metabolizer you're absolutely right about that um and there are certain things that um like for example when we when we deal with Cancer, for example, we're dealing with the commonalities of cancer. And so the commonalities of cancer would be things like um, cancer, as we just said, it uh, it's needs sugar to survive. It hates oxygen. So we you know, use those types of things that will increase the oxygen and deprive the cancer of the sugar. Um, but when we, we're not really treating the cancer, we're really treating the immune system. And so we'll do certain things to help stimulate the immune system. But the other things, like, for example, common characteristics of cancer, when you when we have a patient that we're dealing with that has a deficient immune system, because by definition, anybody who has cancer, they have an immune system that's not functioning. That's where our focus of treatment lies. We're not really dealing with the cancer. We're really, we're really dealing with the immune system. And if we can get the immune system uh, working again and we can get the cancer, the body's immune system to recognize the cancer, because the immune system sometimes fails to recognize the cancer is being formed, then the cancer, you know, cancer is just a symptom. It's not the primary problem. And so the other things that we look at, for example, commonality of cancer, cancer has a suppression of apoptosis, which is a programmed cell death, uh, uncontrolled cellular proliferation, which is basically uncontrolled growth. Uh, there's all sorts of different commonalities. And so we deal with, when we look at a certain type of pathology, we look at the commonalities, the physiological commonalities in those conditions, and we try to address those things and get the body working in the right direction. And then the problem itself, which is nothing more than the symptom, you know, like if somebody, if somebody has, uh, if somebody has cancer, that cancer is the symptom of the problem. The problem is an immune system that is not recognizing the cancer is being formed or the immune system is uh, damaged and non-functional. So we look at the cause, uh, we, we don't really look at the results. And so the cancer is nothing more than symptoms. So I don't treat symptoms that treat the underlying causation. Does that, uh, does that make sense? Gotcha. 
yeah, yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's uh, unlike in contrast with so many physicians out there. And um, what was the, um, I've heard it mentioned on Robert Scott Bell show a few times that there was a um, court hearing that you had um, furnished the proof showing that with a radiological contrasting agent or um, imaging agent or something like that was able to show that the, when it, the agent bound with sugar, that that's what uh, cancer exclusively uh, feeds itself by. Can you tell us about that? Uh, that was, no, that was actually d during a, uh, during a court case, uh, it was actually with the medical board, they had an expert witness, and the expert witness was basically saying that um, the, the point about cancer uh, being a um, you know being fed by sugar was just poppycock, and that was just um, that was garbage, and that was just things that weren't true. That's what this oncologist was saying. And so, um, you know what. what the exact statement was that cancer was an obligate glucose metabolizer. They were basically asking why do I, why did I do this particular treatment? So I explained that it was because cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer, and and our you know this was this was our this is one of the things that we do and why we do it and how we do it. So when the question was you know well, why do you do this this way? That's why because because cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer, and that cancer will selectively uptake this treat this treatment that we're doing because we're infusing with sugar, and so the the opposing uh, their their expert witness, basically, who was the only oncologist they could get to testify. I had three oncologists that testified for me, um, and they basically, you know, the guy said that that's ludicrous, that's just garbage. There's no such there's no such thing. This is just alternative medicine mumbo jumbo. So I told my attorney, as they were questioning him, I wrote down on a piece of paper, asked him how a PET scan works, and because a PET oh. scan works because cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. They understand that. So basically, a PET scan, we're just looking up to see whether treatments are working for, from a cancer standpoint. Um, you know, they're looking, a PET scan will see where the cancer is based upon the uptake of a radioisotope-labeled sugar molecule because cancer picks up sugar. So they basically take a sugar molecule and they label it with a radioisotope-labeled um, um, tracer and then then they infuse that into the patient, and then wherever that contrast media, that radioisotope lights up in the body, they know that that's where the sugar molecule was taken up. You know, that's where the radioisotope is labeling up. That shows that's where the cancer is. But the, the reason that's where it's showing up is because the sugar molecule, that the radioisotope labeled molecule is with the sugar, and the sugar has been taken up by the cancer. So the cancer is selectively showing up on the image only where the cancer is because, you know, the the Trojan horse of the vehicle, what they're using to track the cancer is the sugar because the cancer is sucking up the sugar. So when the when this oncologist said that, you know, we basically embarrassed him that he doesn't even know how a PET scan works, and he's an oncologist because he just said that cancer doesn't doesn't care about sugar. There's no such thing. And so of course he hemmed and he howled. You know, he, he didn't know what to say because he basically said, "Well, it's a radioisotope labeled substance." And so then I wrote him a piece of paper to tell my attorney because my attorney was looking at the pieces of paper and then I asked him, "So you know, what is that substance?" You know. Uh, well, it's a molecule of, uh, and then, you know, he kind of got stuck because he realized he just, you know, proved himself to be an idiot by making that statement. Um, so that, that well, that's what it was. That, that That's probably what you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah, now I remember it was all about the PET scan. 
All right. And uh, we have uh, Frank calling in on the line. Are you there, Frank? Yes, I am. All right. Thanks for calling. What do you have for us? You know, I've been reading a lot about and uh, watching a lot of videos and podcasts about people who have been trying this carnivore diet and like say they're beset with all these autoimmune conditions and they're living unhappy lives and then they start eating uh, like a no carb uh, high meat or all meat diet and a lot of their symptoms go away. I wonder if the doctor could uh, weigh in on this issue and uh, tell us what he thinks about a carnivore diet for humans. Okay, so when you say carnivore diet, you're talking about high meat intake, or are you talking about the carnivora, the, car, the, the plant, the carnivora plant? Is that what you're talking about, or are you just talking about a carnivore diet? Like I'm, I'm talking about a high meat intake for humans. Gotcha, yeah. Um, so are you familiar with Dean Ornish? Um, that name doesn't ring a bell. Uh, Sean Baker rings a bell, and uh, uh, let me see, uh, Jordan Peterson, the uh, noted psychologist, he's on an all-meat diet now, and a lot of his symptoms, including his periodontal disease, has gone away, being on an all-meat diet. All he does is eat beef and salt in a club soda all day. What did he eat again? He eats uh, beef with some salt on it and a, and a club soda, and that's what he, his intake is uh, every day now for the past month. Gotcha. Well, so the, the, the issue is I believe that the, you need a balanced diet, but the concept of high meat, it's really not the high meat. That, so some, some people say you should be on a totally vegetarian-type diet, right? No meat. Other people yeah. say high meat diet. It's actually the elimination of the carbohydrates that really is giving him the benefit of that. And and most of the foods out there, almost everything has carbohydrates in it. So fruits have carbohydrates in it. Of course, those, those are naturally occurring carbohydrates, so they're a lot healthier. Um, but, you know, you've got the breads and the pastas and all, all the different types of things. Vegetables have carbohydrates in there, but they're, they're more complex. So the whole component when you have a high meat diet is that you are uh, basically removing all carbohydrate intake. So this comes back down to the uh, Atkins diet. Simple of so that's, that's uh, Frank. Of this Frank, uh, you're uh, hearing some background noise from me. Oh, sorry. Uh, the dog was barking. So basically it's the high-protein diet and uh, low-carbohydrate diet. And so, the, yes, by eliminating carbohydrates, you will see a lot of different benefits. Now, I don't necessarily advocate a high meat diet, but when people say, oh, we should be vegetarians, you know, I remind people that, look, we have these incisors, and God gave us these incisors because we were designed to tear flesh. But we're not carnivores. We're omnivores. So, you know, herbivores only eat plants. Carnivores only eat meat. Uh, we're omnivores. We have the ability to eat plants and, and meat. So I think we should have a balanced diet. What we need to do is try to stay away from the refined carbohydrates and stay away from the grains and the pastas and those type of things. Um, but, yeah, chicken, eggs, you know, red meat, the, the cleaner the meat, the better, you know, range-fed. Um, I think having food like that, um, you will... 
be able to sustain a much healthier um, waistline and you know get rid of the central adiposity and all those all those other components that go along with central um, adipose deposition you know, hormones go lower and chronic diseases increase and joint pain start and hair starts falling out all these different things that happen so if we can reduce our um, xenoestrogenic and phytoestrogenic loads increased exercise have more proteins lower carbohydrates you will see a much more um, efficient system and result in in uh, much better health. So if you were talking about the carnivore diet for just losing fat or body weight, um, or were you talking about from a health perspective, uh, either way, it, having, a, having a diet where you reduce carbohydrates will achieve the same thing. And the key there was that just having high high uh, meat diets, the problem you're going to have to worry about is too much protein that can cause other types of issues with imbalance, and then people can get things like gout and other types of issues. So, again, we need we need a balance, but we need clean balance, and we need to have uh, much, much, much lower carbohydrate intake, and that's really where the benefit is coming from. Well, well, thank you so much, doctor. I appreciate that. So, Frank, you say that uh, you've, in the last... Um, Two weeks, you've been eating mostly uh, meat, few vegetables. Looking at your post here, that uh, oh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. su- no sunglasses for the past two weeks. Uh, right. Did you have any points or questions to make about the importance of natural light and uh, avoiding blue light or fluorescent light or any other kind of light or um, anything that you have on that, Doctor Batar? There, there you go. Yeah, that that sounds like a great question. So go ahead and. And uh, restate that question for me because our connection kind of broke up there, so I couldn't hear what you were saying. Um, we, we were wondering about uh, the human health effects uh, from light, uh, especially blue light, say from uh, computer screens, uh, TV screens, phone screens, or fluorescent lights versus natural light, say from the sun. So the the use of certain lights, like you're talking about the blue lights and some of these other things, the, the LED lights, if it's on the blue spectrum, um, there's a lot of talk about how unhealthy those lights are. So the first thing is those lights are not unhealthy at the right time of the day. In fact, they're very, very healthy, and they follow the sun's, um, they're closer to the sun's spectrum of light. It's at nighttime when you get exposed to those lights it's not good. And the reason is is because it disrupts our circadian rhythm. And that's where the the people that are pro-LED lights um, versus the people that are against those type of lights, the blue lights or the, the specific spectrum of the lights, the, the ones that are opposed to the use of those type of lights, they're actually talking about the use of those lights at nighttime. And it's basically the disruption of that natural circadian rhythm there to be concerned about. So I, I don't have any problem with any type of light. It's just that at certain times of the day or certain times of the night, you don't want to have exposure to certain types of light. So the blue lights, uh, if you have those in your house, you should not turn those on at nighttime because they will kind of mess you up. And um, I've seen people walk around with glasses on at nighttime uh, to try to prevent the filtering out of some of those lights. You know, I, I don't follow that type of an extreme. 
Paul, but then I also make sure that I, I don't have certain types of lights on in the house. Uh, incandescent bulbs are the best type for nighttime, um, but not for the warm, the warm yellow type lights, not the blue lights. Those aren't good for, for people at nighttime. All right, cool. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds great. All right, Frank, you have anything else to add? Mm, nothing off the top of my head. Uh, the doctor seems uh, to be uh, uh, well well knowledged in in these areas. I'm uh, happy for his input. Absolutely, I, I agree. All right. Well, um, all right, Frank. Thanks for calling and uh, calling back. If anything else crosses your mind. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, Dr. Bataro, can you tell us a little bit about the um, challenges that you've had with the Board of Medicine? Because uh, I just think it's important that a lot of folks understand there there are several doctors uh, at any given moment, but um, many doctors throughout history, and I've mentioned it on the show before, that uh, they get uh, their state boards of medicine challenge for going outside the standard of care, or even uh, regardless of whether they have a complaint uh, filed against them from a patient just for going outside the standard of care. And I'm not sure exactly what that is. If you could uh, tell us uh, how is that a is standard of care is determined by, say, written policy? And, uh, and can you tell us about what kind of challenges that you faced in the past and uh, how folks might be able to support you currently? Well, I, I really appreciate uh, you asking that. Um, I don't know how appropriate that would be, Chris, to talk about those kind of things, though. I mean, the challenges are always there. Anytime I think anybody's trying to do anything right, those that are vested in the status quo or invested in uh, prevention of advancement in any type of field, they will try to create problems. And, um, you know, I think I'll just leave it at that. And I appreciate the, right. the desire for supporting that. But, I, you know, uh, prayers are the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. And uh, for people to right. uh, be aware and take care of themselves. And that, to me, if I can make a difference in a person's life and they're able to experience that difference firsthand and be able to pay it forward. Um, that's what excites me. And, uh, you know, I would say that they, there's, we have certain discussions about those type of things in politics stuff, but again, that's done in the private sector and the IADFW, the International Association for Disease-Free World and Advanced Medicine. People can get access to the IADFW there. Um, and I would encourage people to go there and use, utilize the head map, you know, register for free and then, uh, when you put up your invitation code, anybody once you join, once you register for free, you will see that there's an invitation code. Um, but you need an invitation code to join. So, Chris, I would encourage you to. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised because when when you and I talked on the phone, you had your invitation code right there because I pointed it out to you. So you don't have to. Well, I got it now. I have gotten it. Uh, yeah. I, um, if you could uh, tell folks again about what this means, it's uh, and uh, you know the value and. In advancedmedicine.com, uh, my invitation code there is 19569. That's 19569, and uh, I'll post that on the page for this particular edition of Liberation Station, the October 2nd edition. So what, uh, what is the um, importance of the head map and what you offer at Advanced Medicine and any of the other sites, of the many of, uh, any of the many sites that you have? Well, 
advancedmedicine.com. If you go there, you can register for free with that invitation code that, Chris, you just gave out. And then you can have access to the head map. You'll have access to many other uh, resources and information that you might be, find beneficial. Uh, you'll also find information at the VanBCD. Uh, that's V-A-N-B-C-D.org. There's a tab for the Van VCD, also in advanced medicine, and that's uh, vaccinated and non-vaccinated children's data. Uh, that's something else that people will get great information um, as far as finding out and be able to query data and be able to understand what's going on with some of this data um, as far as which children have had vaccines and which children haven't and how they've responded to, to various types of things, such as where they are, in their educational um, process and whether their parents feel that their cognitive skills are at par or above par or below par behind the peer group or ahead of the peer group and the relationship of that information to their history of vaccinations or um, whether this, which children, how many children are having some type of uh, medical issue and the relationship between that and the vaccine. So it only takes two minutes fill out the information if you have a child. Uh, if you just go to Van VCD, it'll, it'll, it'll become self-explanatory. It's kind of hard to explain it um, over over the phone, but if you go to vanvcd.org and fill out the questions, then you'll understand the power of it. And there is a video that we have that kind of explains the data and shows how, how anybody can go in there and query the data however they want, whenever they want. Very, very, very powerful. So we have people from all over the world, I think almost, 15,000 people. Uh, there's not a single country that's not represented there. You can select the, the data and how you want to query it based upon gender, uh, age, the um, number of vaccines. Um, so you can say, you know, all boys between the age of 7 and 12 that had vaccines in Australia. You can query the data like that, and it'll, it'll show you the graphs of the pure, you know, and you can then assess that information like, how many of those kids um, had vaccine injury that had, well, basically you can say which kid, you know, 9 to 12-year-old boys in Australia that had vaccine versus that didn't have vaccines. And now you can compare the data, where they were in their peer group charts compared to the, the vaccinated ones compared to the non-vaccinated ones. Uh, you can look at how many of those children that were vaccinated have been on medication since they were born, how many of those have not. You can then look at how many children have been vaccinated in the non-vaccinated medications that are in the non-vaccinated group, and how many children are not on any medications in the non-vaccinated group. You can look at the the parents and their uh, the mother, and, and if she had any type of health concerns or ailments when she was carrying the child. It's, it's very very detailed. It's just eleven simple questions. All right, and uh, yeah, that is um, VAN. Uh, v, that's V-A-N as in a minivan, V-A-N, V as in victory, C as in cat, D as in door, and if you go down to the bottom of the page and click on results, then you can query, as you're mentioning, Dr. Buttar, uh the um, results of those who took the survey. It's kind of, isn't it kind of like a, <clears throat> um, a citizen-based uh, survey that's not... Um, uh, not uh, that's maybe more comprehensive than the uh, government's vaccine adverse reaction reporting system. 
Uh, yeah, except that it's not reporting any adverse reactions. It's just reporting the history. Parents are just basically giving their history of, you know, I had three children, and then for each child they put down the age, you know, the gender, how many vaccines they had, um, and then just answer a couple of basic questions, and that's it. It takes less than two minutes. And that's if you read all the quotes in there. They're, we have a lot of motivational quotes. But that's, if you don't read any of the quotes, it may take you a minute to answer all the questions. And what I noticed there is that the children who are more heavily vaccinated are certainly much more afflicted by uh, the problem, health problems, chronic health problems, especially. So um, that's a site that I often uh, cite to kind of warn folks that um, it may not be, uh, it, it's not, uh, I don't know, uh, a government or you know clinical study but uh, i think it's probably even better because it's, you have the public who can contribute to it so um we'll add that up on the website and uh, <clears throat> uh if you'd like to reach us here in the last uh, 18 minutes of the show we have dr rashid buttar that's dr buttar d-r-b-u-t-t-a-r.com and you can reach us here at 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000. And 866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. I'm your host, Chris Steiner. And the website is theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. So, uh, Dr. Batar, uh, we talked uh, just to go back a little bit to uh, biofilms we spoke about in the first hour, and um, I'm seeing that ozone as well as hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, can um, can reduce uh, biofilms or combat combat them. But um, uh, you know, I, I understand it's a hazard to breathe ozone, and that's something I do when I get a cold. I'm don't I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I don't recommend it because I know it's not doctor recommended. But <clears throat> every time I I've had a cold in the last eight years, uh, you know, where I, I start to feel a cold coming on, I feel a little achy or a sore throat, then I do that. I just take about three breaths from my high volume ozone generator. I'm not I know you're I'm not asking for your endorsement, but um, this last time. Um, just about two weeks ago, it did not work, and I'm wondering. It's maybe it's because I didn't take uh, take my supplements, and I've been uh, kind of uh, too busy, I guess, to to take them. So um, I just uh, wanted to mention that, um, and uh, I also uh, wanted to to ask uh, just to back up a little bit also about when a, a state board of medicine. Well, you can address that, what I just mentioned there, but um, also a state board of medicine, when they go after a doctor, what is uh, the standard of care? How, do, how is that determined? Well, that's the whole thing. They, they don't have a standard of care. They say that they have a standard of care, but the standard of care is what everybody's doing and what's acceptable and accepted by everybody. But there's no written standard. And, and now they're trying to come up with written, certain standards, written standards. But the problem is, you know, you come up with a written standard Anything that's outside of that standard is then considered um, is then considered unacceptable, and that would mean that every doctor would then have to prescribe the same drug for the same condition, and that's just not how the body works. And, and there, you know, there could be a lot of potential, um, like like 
like anybody that's doing anything integrative or advanced or, or non-conventional would then end up having a problem because you'd have to prescribe the same drug for the same condition. But the problem there is that if the person's condition is misdiagnosed, you're going to end up treating them wrong, and, and there would be a penalty for treating the patient right because of the misdiagnosis, the mere label of that misdiagnosis would then force doctors to treat the patient in a certain manner that would be inappropriate and cause detriment. So it's, a, you know, it's going down a very, very slippery slope. And um, so there is no written standard of care, per se. Um, you know, for example, I was brought up in ethical charges of not following the standard of care and treating cancer patients and that I was taking advantage of these terminal patients. And, you know, they, we had 47 patients ready to testify on my behalf. They allowed five to testify. But the interesting thing was all these people that were ready to testify had all been given, you know, three to six months left to live. They were all referred to hospice. They all failed chemo and radiation. They were all stage four cancer patients. And the five that they allowed me to testify, I mean, every one of those patients that was ready to testify had, you know, lived way beyond their expected age. But the five that uh, they allowed to testify, one was a doctor. He was three and a half years out from his treatment. He was given less than six months to live. One was an oncological nurse who had, you know, by the way, all these patients stage four with disease spread throughout their body when they came to us. Um, And uh, at the time of testimony, um, one was eight years out from our treatment, one was five years out from our treatment, and the other three were three and a half years out from their treatment. Uh, one was a doctor, one was an oncological nurse, cancer nurse, and the other three were lay people. All five had been referred to hospice. All five had been told that there was nothing left to be done for them. And so, you know, and I, was, and I was brought up on ethical breach, not following the standard of care. And I was like, well, yeah, of course I'm not going to follow the standard of care. If I had, they'd be all dead right now, you know? So, right. Um, yeah, there's stage four. That's, that's uh, what most consider terminal, right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly Wow. Well, well, just to interject here, as promised at the beginning of the show, I was mentioning a news clip that I'm just going to play very quickly here is to satisfy the curiosity of the listeners that Stewart, Florida, uh, seven days ago, the day of the last edition of the show, uh, there's this uh, news report from WPTV that Stewart, Florida banned the use of glyphosate based herbicides like Roundup. And uh, go ahead, control room, please play that clip. Well, I'm not hearing the clip. Uh, hmm, I guess it's not quite ready yet. Dr. Buttar, do you read me? I, I can. I can hear you. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Well, uh, I'll get a signal. And once that's ready, and uh, we'll play it at the drop of a hat, the next uh, question I have is um, what kind of toxicity uh, – there's some technical problem with that clip. Huh. Okay. Um, well, that's that's strange. We may not be able to play it. Um, all right. Well, it's going to be up on the website. So suffice it to say, there's the news. One more victory and one more strike against Monsanto, which has now been acquired by Bayer. Now, uh, Dr. Buttar, um, my next question is, uh, you know, because a lot of folks do understand that autism, uh, one of the causes of autism are vaccines, especially vaccines that contain mercury and aluminum um there are a lot of clinical studies on that and uh, uh but uh, i heard you mention that sometimes a mother a pregnant mother who has had her uh 
her tea, her mercury amalgam fillings improperly removed by an ill-equipped dentist uh, and has not had vaccinations, that uh, that can be a cause for autism. Is that what you found? Uh, it can certainly be contributory. You're talking about the maternal amalgam load can certainly be contributory, yes. All right. And what kind of toxicity tests uh, do you perform? I'm, I don't know if you want to get into that. I, I just, uh, or maybe you'd want to talk about the differences in the toxicity tests, uh, why one would want to uh, conduct certain ones, maybe not others, like hair, nail, urine, fecal tests, and, uh, yep. you know, and blood tests. Uh, what's the difference, and uh, why would someone want to have certain of those toxicity tests? Uh, well, the first thing is that those, those tests each show a different component because it's looking at a different vector, and they all mean different things. I don't, um, you know, we don't give patients a choice which test they want to get done. There's, again, everything is set up based upon conditions. For an adult that comes in, uh, we just do urine metal challenge. But if I'm doing autism, we look at hair, urine, fecal, and RBC. Why? Because each one of these things is going to tell me something different, and they all indicate different indicate they're all indicated for different reasons they all show us different pieces of information and if we don't do one and we do some of the other ones we may miss something and that is not something that i will do so if they're not willing to follow our protocol i won't you know i won't be the treating doctor and of course we've got patients from 89 countries we've had great results um with what we do and how we do it so um so um you know the, the treatment protocol is entwined with the testing protocol because the treatments are done when we're doing removal of heavy metals, for example, the treatment is not selective on which metals um, it's going to pull out. So it pulls out the, the bad heavy metals, but it also pulls out the good minerals because minerals are also metals. So we have to be able to then monitor the minerals and make sure that we're not pulling out too much too fast. And then if there are things that are being uh, depleted from the body, we have to be sure that we're able to replete them and so there's a lot of different components that go into this. And so hair, for example, is, um, you know, hair is dead tissue. It's an it's a, uh, excrement in a way. So that's we're, when we're looking at the hair levels of metals and minerals, we're looking at something that's about six weeks old. The, the analysis is giving us about six-week-old information, and it's telling us what's coming out of the body. It doesn't tell us what's really in the body. So autistic kids, for example, in hair analysis, the, the more severe the autism, the lesser the level of mercury. And normal, neurotypic, healthy children have four times the level of mercury in their hair than autistic kids. So that sounds quite counterintuitive, but it's not because the healthy, normal kids can get rid of mercury, so it's coming out. It's the kids that can't get rid of it, that's where the mercury is being retained in the body, because everybody has it. The kids that can't get rid of it that's retaining in the body, their mercury levels are virtually non-existent in hair but that's because they can't get rid of it, so it's staying inside the body, and those are the children that have autism. And the more severe the autism, the, the lower level of mercury in the hair. And this was published in the Journal of Interna International Journal of Toxicology, you know, like 15, 20 years ago. So um, th th that, that's one specific type of testing, looking at the, at the vector of hair. When you're looking at urine, it's a totally different situation. You look at stool, it's a different situation. So, you know, again, these are... These are things that I teach doctors when they come through our training program. It's not something I usually talk to the lay public about, except for if they're patients and then they're. Um, but 
yes, each test is indicated for a different reason, and there's a, there's a rationale for using certain tests in, in certain conditions. In adults, I don't need all that information, just need the urine challenge. So we usually don't do fecal uh, and RBC and hair metal testing in adults, but in children, we, we always do. So the RBC, the red blood cell membrane test, that would would that just show, uh, say, current levels, regardless of ability to excrete, like the other tests would show? No, RBC levels are going to only show intracellular red blood cell metals, and that's very rare to see those going in there because the body doesn't. The body tries to store metals, and you know it's like. It's like something that you don't want, so you store it in your basement or you store it underneath the bed. That's what the body tries to do. So you rarely see it in in the within the red blood cell intracellularly. And if you do, it's usually uh, so usually not a chronic issue. It's usually an acute issue. So you'll see a spike up in there. Um, if you see somebody with high levels of lead or mercury in in their red blood cells, you know that's a that's a pretty acute situation. Um, I'm usually looking at the mineral aspect, and even then, you know, it's constantly, it's a dynamic situation. It's constantly changing intracellular um, levels of metals. Uh, again, and it's looking at specifically the red blood cells, not looking at various tissues. So it's a very, very specific vector that you're looking at. And, um, you know, I've, you talk to 10 doctors, they have 10 different ways of interpreting the test. Uh, we have a very specific way we interpret the test, it's the way that I teach. And, you know, we've got a few thousand patients that we can show. We've collected over eight and a half million data points uh, with, he with heavy metals. And uh, in fact, they're still entering in a lot of the stuff into our, into our database, but I anticipate that we'll cross 10 million uh, data points to be able to show the validity of, of our conclusions from some of these tests. Well, I'll always, as they say, more studies must be done. So we never can have too much information, I guess. So. Well, um, when it comes to uh, someone who wants to lose fat, I won't say weight because muscle weighs more than fat, but for someone who's trying to lose fat, uh, should they also watch their toxin level? Because uh, isn't it true that toxins tend to be stored in fat sort of as a way for the body to protect the rest of the vital organ, the, the vital organs the rest of the body, uh, the other structures and organs from the toxins that are stored in fat? Is, how important is detoxing as you're trying to lose fat? Oh, it's very, very important. Um, so uh, to support that process, it's very important, yes. Um, so when a, person, when a person has more body fat, they have more storage of toxins or more, they have more toxins storage capacity, let's put it that way. So when somebody's trying to lose body fat, there is a release of some of this stuff. And uh, again, that's one reason hydration is important. The solution to pollution is dilution. So if you can flush your system out and support the system, that's important. Um, but basically a person that has more body fat will have a higher propensity for accumulating and holding on to toxins. That's really what it comes down to. Well, that's very important to know. Um, well, Dr. Batar, we just have about a minute left. Uh, what, is there anything you'd like to plug or promote? Uh, well, if anybody uh, would like to get, I have a book, The Nice Steps Keep the Doctor Away, 
Um, and, you know, people can go on Advanced Medicine, or you can go to the ninesteps.com, and, um, or you can get it from Amazon or whatever. And that's, advanced Medicine would be the place that I would tell people to go to to get um, access to more resources that may help them, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to experience the benefit and see the power behind the head map and how they can utilize it, and there's no cost to them, so... I just uh, I'm amazed at all much information I had to sift through, despite my uh, being uh, uh, one of your biggest fans over the years, and just uh, surprised that I'm coming up with uh, so much from your many websites uh, that are listed at the now listed at on theliberationstation.com. Uh, there's Doctor Butar. Possible toxic mail. I'm Ann.